Chapter thirty two of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty two. I really must and will remonstrate, my dear Winkworth, said Charles Marston, entering the room where his old yellow faced friend was sitting. How can you risk your health and your life by neglecting the express directions of a surgeon you have called in to attend you? I cannot conceive unless you wish to make people believe you are quite mad, or meditating suicide. "'We are all mad, Charles,' said Mr. Winkworth, "'every one after his own fashion, and every man, judging his neighbour by his own madness, thinks him insane on account of the very actions which most show his sanity. "'You are by nature, habit, and education utterly idle. Idleness is your madness.' and you would not put yourself the least out of your way to perform the most important business in the world. Therefore, it is you think me mad for neglecting advice in which I have no confidence, in order to transact business which I thought important. Business, business took me out, I tell you. Look there, and he pointed to an ocean of old papers by which he was surrounded. And if I choose to kill myself, Charles Marston, what is that to you? I am not your son, nor your ward, nor your wife, and no man, let me tell you, has a right to meddle with another man's actions unless he is affected by them. But I am affected by this, replied his young companion. You have promised to take a journey with me into the country, and if you lay yourself up on a sick-bed, you will not only defraud me of your society, but you will prevent me from going too, for I must stop to nurse you. "'cried the old man. "'I can nurse myself. "'I have nursed many other people, too, "'long before you were born, "'and I think I can do so still in my own case. "'But I tell you, I don't intend to be ill. "'And now, what are you going to do? "'For as soon as I get through these papers, "'which will take me about half an hour more, "'I may want to talk to you.' "'I shall wait here, then,' replied Charles, "'for my uncle Scriven sent to say "'he would call about this time.' "'I won't see him!' exclaimed Mr. Winkworth, impetuously. "'Have him taken into another room. I won't see him. At all events, not yet. It would do me more harm than all the journeys in the world.' "'Ho, oh, oh, ho!' cried Charles, laughing. "'So then you have come to the conclusion that my opinion of my worthy uncle is not quite so wrong as you at first thought it.' "'I never thought it wrong,' said Mr. Winkworth, who was in one of his polemic humours. I had no business to think about it, because I had no data, and all I concluded was that it was either a great pity a nephew should think so of his uncle, or a great pity that an uncle should give a nephew reasonable cause so to think. Now I have data. And he laid his hand upon some of the papers before him. These documents belong to that poor thing we met upon the common, Miss Haley. How she has saved them, how she has preserved them, in all she has gone through, I don't know, but it now seems to me very clear why your uncle wants to keep her in a madhouse. Indeed, exclaimed Charles Marston, a frown coming upon his brow and a flush into his cheek. Pray let me hear, my dear sir, for though I do not doubt that Mr. Scriven is a very honourable man, as the world goes, yet I know he always has his motives. Be good enough to tell me what they are in this instance. No, I won't answered mr winkworth abruptly at least not at present charlie you shall hear more by and by 
but before i speak upon any subject i like to know it thoroughly myself and before i act in any matter i like to consider how i had best act but where is miss hayley how did you find out exclaimed charles marston she's in a madhouse at brook green replied mr winkworth and i found out by the boy jim who tracked her with the instinct of true affection now that is all you need to know for the present charles thought for a moment and then said in a mild tone i wish winkworth you would tell me more for your words lead me to believe in some degree that the honour of one member of my family at least is somewhat affected by this business yet i cannot insist as i am debarred from acting as i should like to act in behalf of this poor thing why debarred said mr winkworth by my father's unfortunate situation replied charles i look upon it as my duty my dear sir to make over the income of my poor mother's whole property which my father assigned to me to him for his life i have thus nothing on earth to bestow upon poor miss hayley otherwise i had proposed out of old affection for her and hers to settle upon her what would make her independent mr winkworth got up and walked once or twice across the room then turning sharply round he said you shall do it my dear charles do you know i intend to leave you all i possess there no words about it i told lady anne so a little while ago and now tell me what your father allowed you not a word about any other subject charles paused for a moment as if overpowered by his emotions but mr winkworth waved his hand impatiently and he replied nearly two thousand a year my dear sir the whole interest in fact of my mother's fortune then i will allow you the same said mr winkworth i adopt you as a son you won't be the worse for two fathers especially when one is away and i am a nabob as you know who could eat gold if i liked were it not that the food is indigestible and to tell the truth i've been so long accustomed to feed upon rice and to wear one coat the whole year that i fear anything like dainty diet and rich apparel will be the death of me hark there is somebody coming to the door that's your uncle i warrant take him quickly through the room to that one beyond don't introduce him and let me finish what i am about the last words were spoken just as mr scriven was entering the room and as he was by no means deaf he must have heard them he gazed coldly upon mr winkworth however as he advanced towards his nephew but the old gentleman merely raised his head for an instant made a slight bow and resumed the reading of the papers before him while charles led his uncle into a small room beyond as may be supposed from all that had lately passed between uncle and nephew charles did not feel very cordial towards mr scriven but that gentleman cared very little about it he did not trouble himself about affections they were not in his way of business well charles he said a lawyer has been to me to inquire into the particulars of the property settled upon you i hope you are not going to borrow money not a penny replied charles marston dryly then what is this lawyer's object asked mr scriven was he sent by you if so why he was sent by me replied charles and for this reason my father on my coming of age having plenty of money himself settled upon me the income of my mother's property to which he was entitled during his life now he has not plenty of money i am going to give him back what he gave to me 
it must be done legally and therefore i have employed a lawyer you as the trustee have the papers and he must see them very good said mr scriven and pray how do you intend to live yourself by my wits answered charles as many other people do i believe oh, plenty plenty said mr scriven pray have you seen your friend colonel middleton lately yes i walked with him for an hour this morning answered charles his colour a good deal heightened at the insinuation which lay couched in his uncle's abrupt question then he has not gone down to frimley again to look for miss hayley said mr scriven with a meaning smile charles paused a good deal struck this was a new link in the chain of evidence proving that henry hayley and frank middleton were one but he feared the use his uncle might make of the fact if he could once establish it and replied you still suspect him of being henry hayley i see but i fancy you would have a great difficulty in proving it i have no interest in proving it replied mr scriven in an indifferent tone it would not benefit me however as you have now explained what the lawyer wants he shall have copies of the deeds of course you have a right to do what you like with your own but if you will follow my advice you will take care what you are about for if your father's creditors get hold of the capital it will benefit neither him nor you i will take care replied charles and merely saying good-bye mr scriven walked away passing mr winkworth without taking any notice when charles marston rejoined his old friend in the other room which he did not do till he had stood and pondered for several minutes mr winkworth looked up suddenly and addressed himself at once to the very point which had been the subject of his young companion's meditations can you tell me anything charles he said of a young man whom i find frequently mentioned in these papers a nephew of miss hayley's named henry i can tell you much my dear sir replied charles and strange to say i was thinking of him at that very moment from some words that my uncle let fall henry hayley was the son of my uncle's partner and an old schoolfellow of mine he was accused when he was little more than sixteen i know all that i know all that said mr winkworth hastily it is all written down here and i remember seeing something of the story in the newspapers he fled to the continent from the pursuit of justice but what became of him then it was said he died replied charles marston and the officer who was sent in pursuit of him declared that he had seen his dead body at ancona my uncle however contends that he is still alive and certainly the likeness between him and our friend colonel middleton is very extraordinary mr winkworth mused for a minute or two turned over the papers before him and examined some passages carefully from what i know of middleton he said at length your uncle's suspicions must be wrong henry hayley would have sought for an aunt who seems to have loved him so well middleton went down to frimley a few nights ago replied charles i had told my good aunt fleetwood of our meeting with miss hayley on the common and i doubt not that she mentioned the fact in his presence mr winkworth mused again but he was uncommonly taciturn upon the subject i must speak to middleton about all this he said there is some mystery here which should be solved i wish charles you would send your fellow to see if he can find middleton and bring him hither 
Charles immediately acceded, but the servant returned with an intimation that Colonel Middleton had gone to Hertfordshire. "'I left the message, however, sir,' he said, "'and the waiter assured me it should be delivered as soon as the gentleman came back.' Some hours passed in the usual occupations of the day. Mr. Winkworth sat and read, wrote and thought, while Charles Marston went in and out upon various matters of business, dined with his aunt Fleetwood and Maria, and returned somewhat late to the hotel. To his surprise, Charles found Mr. Winkworth still up, and as he was going to commence a serious remonstrance, the old gentleman lifted up his finger with a smile, saying, "'Middleton has been here, and the surgeon. So say not a word, or I disinherit you, cut you off with a shilling. Listen, therefore, to my new resolution.' "'Lady Anne Mellon sets out to-morrow morning.' "'I know she does,' replied Charles. "'Your aunt and cousin go at six on the following day,' continued Mr. Winkworth. "'But they are young people, especially Lady Fleetwood. "'I never saw anyone so young in my life. "'You, I, and Middleton are old and cannot bear travelling. "'Therefore we will all take our departure about five to-morrow evening. "'Not a word. It is all settled.' Middleton and I arranged it all, and the surgeon said it was a capital plan, for as I told him I must and would go, either that night or the following day, having made up my mind to be at Belford on Thursday next, he declared it would be better for me to travel slowly than quickly, and to begin in the cool of evening. In short, he perfectly approved, declared I was going on quite well, and left me with an impression which I never entertained before that he is an honest man and a clever doctor. Charles saw that it would be vain to oppose and contented himself with asking, But what did Middleson say of himself? Could you make anything of his history? My dear Charles, he is an enigma, replied Mr. Winkworth, and, as I am the least of an Oedipus of any man that ever lived, I very soon gave him up. One thing, however, is clear. He is a gentleman in every respect, and a very distinguished one. He is, moreover, as rich as Croesus, a Jew, or a nabob. I told him plainly the doubts, or rather suspicions, which have been entertained, and he merely laughed at them, seeming to be highly amused at your uncle's conduct at Lady Fleetwood's house, which, by his account, must have been exceedingly strange. "'Very strange, indeed, and by no means agreeable,' replied Charles, but did Middleton tell you nothing at all about himself? The old gentleman laughed. Oh, yes, he said. He told me many things, but the most important he would not tell, and so the rest was of little use. Now, Charles, I shall go to bed, for you know it is quite needful for a feeble old man like me, with a bad habit of getting wounded in the shoulder, to take care of himself. Which, of course, you never do replied his young companion smiling i shall not meet you at breakfast however sir for i go early to lady anne's to see her off good very good said mr winkworth and walked away into his bedroom while charles remained for a moment or two with that strong inclination to think which often comes upon a man about midnight he soon found however that thinking was a most fruitless occupation and he too retired to rest End of chapter 32